Well, it has been my privilege over the last several weeks to bring to the forefront of our minds the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ as we have been discussing the arrival of the Christ child and the reason that he came. And I began this series, if you recall, by sharing with you how that you'll never fully understand the Christmas story if you begin with the baby in the manger. Because you must first understand that the gift of Jesus was uh, deeply rooted in grief within the heart of God. And that grief was created by man's con- mankind's rejection of their creator. And I also told you how that we are all hardwired to love, but somewhere along the line, our, our love turned toward other people and, and other places and other things. And ultimately, our love for God turned inward to a self-love. And that was one of the things that brought grief into the heart of God, this turning away from him. So he needed to provide for us a way for us to realign our misdirected love. In week two, I told you that we are all engineered for hope and how our hope was intended to be securely placed in God. But again, mankind began placing our hope into other things and other people, none of which are capable of bringing us real hope. Well, this was yet another source of God's grief. He needed to, so he needed to provide us a way in which we could refocus our hope back upon him. Then in week three, I shared with you the announcement from the angels within that most familiar hymn ever sung, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And how that it is giving, when we give glory to God, that is what brings us peace, as well as peace on earth and and peace with our fellow man. But again, the glory that was intended for God was diverted, and we have decided instead to give glory to ourselves and to other things. And as a result, the peace that God intended for us was absent. This too brought grief into the heart of God. So he wanted to show us once again that he is worthy of all praise and honor and glory, amen? These are all reasons why Christ came. His mission was to save us from our misdirected attention and affections. In short, he came to save us from sin, which has been, and always will be mankind's greatest need. Because it is sin that causes us to misplace our affections, our love, our hope, and our worship on other things. But as we end this series today, I wanna add one more piece to it. And I'd like to do so by asking you a question. It's a rhetorical question, so there's no need for you to answer out loud. But if I were gonna ask you to write down on a piece of paper the top 10 things that bring you pleasure, what would you write? And and please don't feel the need to be super spiritual this morning. I want you in your mind and your heart to be honest and to be real. What would bring you pleasure? What does bring you pleasure? If you look back at the end of the day and said, man, that was a really great day, why would you say that? 
If you look back on the week that just passed and you said, what a wonderful week it was, why would you say that? What brings you pleasure? Well, I would like to be able to say that all of the things that bring me pleasure are deeply spiritual, but I can't. I mean, I love Christmas, and I love Christmas for the right reasons and the not so right reasons. I love Christmas cookies. Christmas cookies bring me a lot of pleasure in all shapes and flavors and sizes. I love a beautifully decorated Christmas tree. I I love giving Christmas gifts to my loved ones. I I love having our family together on Christmas. Those are all things that bring me pleasure. But here's what I want you to understand. This magnificent Christmas story that we have been considering really is connected to pleasure in the heart of God. And when you can get that, it changes the way you you think about this story. So I'd like you, if you have a Bible, turn it to Isaiah chapter 53. If you don't have a Bible, the uh, verses will be up on the screens behind me and you can follow along. But I just wanna take a look at one verse in Isaiah chapter 53 and it is verse 10. This is a short discourse on the suffering of the coming Messiah. And it is one of those says it all verses that really encapsulates the entire story. And yet it is a verse that if you are not careful, you could just easily skip over and most people do. But within this verse, you will find no clearer, more pointed or greater demonstration of the love of God than the offering of his son, Jesus. So let me read you Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This is a very expansive verse that we could, I said expansive, not expensive, an expansive verse that we could literally talk about until Tuesday. Are you up for that? We could just kind of hang here? No, we won't do that. You'll get to go home for lunch. But I do want you to take a look at the first phrase in that verse. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. You really have to open your heart and wrap your mind around this radical thing that is being communicated within this verse. How could it be that God the Father would ever find pleasure in crushing his son and putting him to grief? That's what this verse communicates. And it's meant to stop you short. It's meant for you to stop and ask the question, how and why? If you are a parent here with us this morning, I want you to think for me just a moment about the heart that you have for your children. As a parent, you know how you fear for your children, you know how often you hurt for your children, and you'll do everything that you can to protect your children from danger, right? You'll even repeat warnings over and over to them, so much so that their kids just roll their eyes because they've heard them so many times before. But you do this because you love them. 
You want to preserve them from any danger. You pray that their lives would be, would be free of difficulty and that God would grant them success. You would never want anything like what is being described in this scripture to ever happen to one of your children. I mean, just let one of your children get sick with some uncommon illness, uh, something that when the doctor tells you the name of it, because you haven't really heard of it before, it, it, brings, uh, it brings fear into your heart. And you sort of ride that emotional roller coaster ride, thinking of what it might lead to or if it has the potential to create any long-term health consequences for your child. That's the heart of a parent, to love and to protect your children. So you have to look at this passage this morning and say, what could be so powerful and so motivating in the heart of God that he would be willing and even find pleasure in subjecting his son to this horrible thing? What could be in the heart of God that would allow him to do that? Well, the answer is this, and please listen to what I'm about to say. It's love. It's magnificent, faithful, joyous, redeeming love. And you may say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, because of a verse that we all, so, we all know so well that I'm going to share with you now, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he was willing to do this radical thing, to give his son. God looked down on this broken world and, and how broken you and I were on the inside. We are separated in relationship with him, the very thing we were created to do, and he was so full of love and so full of grace and so full of compassion, he was not willing for the world, that means you and I, us, to stay in that condition. That is love, ladies and gentlemen. Because of the nature of sin, we were unable to help ourselves. We were unable to escape the, this dilemma that grips all of our hearts. We were unable to fix the world, so God had to act on our behalf. For God so loved the world that he gave. But let me make something eminently clear this morning. God did not find pleasure in those particular moments of the suffering of his son. What he found pleasure in was the end result of his suffering. This is a story of magnificent love. And I want to say it again. This is a love that you and I could never achieve or earn, and we certainly didn't deserve it. It must be given as a gracious gift. God loved us this much that he would be willing to subject his son to this unthinkable thing. Why? Because that one death would give life to many. That was God's plan. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, Okay, I understand this, and I've heard this before, so why are you making such an emphasis of this? Well, here's why. Because maybe sometime next week or next month or next year, you will in some circumstance, in some relationship, in some situation, be tempted to doubt 
the love of God. Maybe it will be a moment of physical suffering and you'll wonder why God has allowed this pain to be your experience. Maybe you will be in the midst of a very significant relational disappointment where somebody you love has turned their back on you and you'll wonder why God has brought this into your life. Maybe it will be a moment of of financial difficulty. You have sought to obey God's word. You have sought to be a good steward of the resources that he has given you, but now you find yourself without a job and it doesn't make any sense to you. Or maybe you'll just look around at this world in which we live in where it appears that evil is prospering and you will wonder, where is God? Where is his love? Well, right here is your argument. This is the place to run. Because not only does the giving of Christ argue for the magnificence of God's love, but it also argues that he will continue to love you. Let me read to you from Romans 8.32, and please hear these words written by the Apostle Paul. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here's Paul's logic. If God would do this radical thing and offer his son up to cruel suffering and to death, and notice the two things that are mentioned in Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to crush him, And to bring him to grief, crushing had to do with the physical suffering of Christ. And please understand this, every moment of Christ's life on this earth was physical suffering. The suffering did not begin on the cross, the suffering began in the manger. His whole life was one of suffering. He suffered every day that he was subjected to the harsh realities of living in this fallen world. But there was emotional suffering that went along with that as well. That's the grief word. The Bible says he was despised and he was rejected. And that emotional suffering reached a crescendo in the terrible moment on the cross where the father turns his back on his son and Jesus cries out, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me get back to the point I was trying to make, which is exactly what Paul is trying to make clear here. Here is Paul's logic. If God would subject Christ willingly and give him to us in this way, will he not also give us everything else that we need? It would make absolutely no sense for God to do this radical thing and then turn his back on you in your moment of need. This would make no redemptive logic whatsoever. And so Paul argues that you have a guarantee that God will be faithful to you and he will be with you and he will be in you and he will be for you and he will meet all of your needs as you walk in this life toward eternity. Your guarantee is the cross of Jesus Christ. And if God did this for you, he will likewise meet your need. And we need to talk about this for just a moment, because you and I as Americans have a big problem with this word need. We load all kinds of things onto our need list that are not needs at all. 
So what Paul is not doing here, he's not arguing in Romans chapter eight that God is gonna sign off on your wish list. It's not gonna happen. But your creator does know what you need and he is totally committed to meeting those needs. So you don't have to be afraid. And you don't have to play out all those what-if scenarios that go on in your mind 24-7. And you don't have to figure out the sovereignty of God. Listen, there are definitely moments in this life, ladies and gentlemen, when God will confuse you. You ever been there? And you'll even see it in the, some responses depicted in the scriptures. Take, take Psalms 13, 1 and 2, for example. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? You know, as I've told you many times in my personal life, God has always been a last minute God. And I know the reason he does that in me is to stretch my faith and to help me to trust him in greater ways. But my point is that even in the last minute, even though it's been in the last minute, he has always been faithful. And sometimes in ways I never thought or conceived or dreamed of. You see, sometimes the, thing God, the things that God brings in your life can be confusing. But please hear what I'm about to say. You will never find true heart rest. I'm talking about calm, peaceful, security of heart by means of human knowledge or understanding. You just won't. Because there are things that God will do in your life that you will not understand. And I know you've been there, because I've been there many times. The late Tim Keller argues that the importance of believing in the sovereignty of God is not that that doctrine will make sense to you. The importance of believing in the sovereignty of God is precisely because life will not make sense to you. And so I have a place to run. I have an argument to give in those moments when it doesn't seem like God is hearing me or when he seems distant or when I'm confused about what he's brought into my life or when I'm looking at someone else's life and it seems so much better than mine and it seems so much easier than mine. When, when the enemy is whispering in my ear, where is your God now, David? I now have an argument to give back. I can open my Bible to Isaiah 53.10 and Romans 8.31 and say, if God would do this for me, Will he not also meet my needs? Now, I need to ask an obligatory pastoral question here. Do you have restful peace in your heart? Do you? Do you live with peace even in moments when you're not in peaceful circumstances? Do you have a stability and a security that's not related to the issue of the moment? Or do you torment yourself with endless lists of questions that you're not able to answer and wish that you had more control than you do? Well, perhaps you've not fully understood the implications of this season that we're now celebrating because it is the ultimate demonstration of faithful love that if God would give his son in this way, will he not also deliver everything you and I need? 
This is the place where heart rest can be found. And there are some of you, when I asked that question, your honest confession was, I don't have that restful peace. Well, this, what I'm talking about this morning, this is your place of rest. Let's go back to Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Another translation says when his soul makes an offering for sin. Well, that's the plan. The plan was that a second Adam had to come. The first Adam failed the test in the Garden of Eden. So the second Adam had to come, and that second Adam was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had to be willing, in the middle of all of these harsh realities and the temptations of life, he had to be willing to live in the middle of all that in this fallen world. But he also had to be willing to be obedient in every way, in every thought, in every desire, in every word, in every action. He must be obedient so that when he goes to the cross, he is the perfect lamb of God who can now carry our sins and he can satisfy the anger of God so that we could receive forgiveness and acceptance into the family of God and righteousness that is given to us through Christ Jesus and eternal life. That's the plan. We had a problem that we could not solve. And that problem is called sin. You can't escape it in yourself. You can't defeat it. You can't redeem the the world from its fallenness. It's like I said last week, we needed to be rescued. That's why the promise of the Savior is so precious. And so from day one, it was that baby's destiny. It was God's plan that Jesus was destined to die. And I realize that probably doesn't sound too Christmassy for you this morning. And maybe you're thinking, what a horrible story to tell me on Christmas Eve, Pastor David. But listen, the cross is not a moment of defeat. The cross isn't an interruption The cross of Jesus Christ was the plan all along. He came to be the lamb. He came to be the offering that would finally satisfy God's wrath. And the result of this is found in the last part of Isaiah 53, 10. He shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. Through that one cruel death, life would be given to many. And there would be a great worldwide family of every nation and tribe and tongue in every location around the planet, in every period of history. Those who would be given new life through the death of his son. And and, and that he would have offspring like the sands of the sea. What a plan. One death and innumerable lives being saved. You know, to a Hebrew person, long life was a sure sign of blessing. And that little phrase, he shall prolong his days, is a hint of the death of Jesus, or is a hint that the death of Jesus wasn't the the, the end of the story, but that in fact he would live on. It is surely a prediction of his resurrection, but also a prediction of another thing, that Jesus would live on in the hearts of many And the hearts that he lives in would be given a new kind of a life. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So through his suffering, through his death, and through his resurrection, Jesus gave life to many. And then finally, it says at the end of Isaiah 53, 10, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What a great phrase that is. When God placed this mission in the hands of Christ, he put it in good hands. What is it, State Farm? All state, you're in good hands. He put it in good hands. Jesus would be faithful. He would do everything the Father asked him to do. And in doing so, so he would provide for us not just eternal life, but eternal hope. Jesus was faithful. Jesus was willing. Not even for a brief moment was his heart fickle. Not for a brief moment did he reconsider. He accepted this severe job description given to him with joy. And through him, God's work prospers. Now, I don't know, and it's probably good that I don't know all the things that you brought into this room with you today. I don't know the hardship that you are facing. I don't know the grief that's going on in your heart. And I don't know the temptations that you struggle with. But I do know that through it all, you will be tempted to wonder where God is. You'll be tempted to wonder what God is doing. I also know that there's an enemy who will whisper into your ear, where is your God now? You've obeyed for this? This is it? What is that thing called grace? Where is his power? Well, Isaiah 53.10 can arm you for those moments because God's love is magnificent. God's love is faithful. It's so powerful and it is so willing that he would be pleased to give up his son to cruel suffering, to a death so that we could know life and not just life, but we could have an abundant life. And if he would do such a thing, is it conceivable that he would abandon you in your moment of need? No, he will not. Rest, as I said earlier, will not be found in, in human knowledge or human understanding. Rest is found in the pleasure of the Father and the willingness of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no more clear rest-giving demonstration of the love of God for you than the gift of his son. So I would plead with you this morning, in your moment of doubt, in your moments of fear, in your moments of, of deep hurt or discouragement, don't run away from this one. Instead, run to him. Run toward that love because it's a love that will change your life and your outlook forever. 
Scott, will you and the worship team work your way up here, please? When I said, run to him, run toward that love, that's really what this whole series, The Gift, is all about. We have all experienced love before. The love of a parent, the love of perhaps a child, the love of a friend, the love of romance, the love of a spouse. Those are all wonderful kinds of love. And we love to be loved. Remember, I told you we were hardwired to love, right? Well, there is one love that is unlike any other. It's not a fickle kind of love that changes with one's mood. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's a love that's not self-serving or self-seeking, excuse me, and it's, it's not easily angered. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil. It's a love that actually rejoices in the truth. It's a love that is patient and a love that is kind, a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It's a love that never ends, and it's a love that never fails. It is the love of God, and if you haven't experienced it yet, you need to. You know, there's something about Christmas and the holidays that makes us think about love. And many times, they are good thoughts. As you dwell on the memories of those you loved, as well as those you've loved who have have passed away, but somehow you tend to find warmth and comfort in those, those memories. But there are other times when your thoughts of love aren't so good, when love turned its back on you and let you down, times when love wounded you deeply. Well, the gift that we've been talking about Jesus He came to love you in a way that you've never been loved before. He came to provide you with a new kind of love. And his love is exactly what you and I need. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. The Bible says that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But not only does he love you, he also came to rescue you. He came to save you from sin and to offer you eternity in the presence of God in a place of perfect peace. You may be searching for something this morning, peace of mind, something that will bring to rest turmoil and, and fears that are going on internally in you. Something, something maybe you need, some, some of you, maybe you need to be help in overcoming your anger. Some of you might need help with some kind of an addiction or a stronghold in your life that you're struggling with. This is also why Christ came. We live in a world of darkness. We live in a world of sin where things don't operate the way that they were intended to operate and that brings difficulties and that brings confusion. And in those moments of confusion, often the enemy will whisper words of deeper doubt into your ears. This is why you need to start living in a way where you can begin to hear God's voice, God's leading, 
It's called the voice of truth. He won't lie to you. He won't tell you stories. He will give it to you straight. Because that combined with God's unconditional love and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that resides in you once you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, you can live a different kind of life. A life where you can actually have a deep-seated peace within your heart. That's what Jesus came to give you. But it takes an action on your part. You must receive the salvation that only Jesus can provide. And what it requires is for you to confess and to believe. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So simply pray, tell Jesus that you believe in him, ask him to forgive you of your sin, invite him to be the Lord of your life, and he will. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You are given a fresh start. You are given a clean slate. And I don't know of anybody who couldn't use one of those. And for those of you here today who are already in a redemptive relationship with Jesus, have you ever given thought to the ways that we grieve the heart of God? By withholding our love, our attention, our praise, our worship of him, by us putting hope in other things that were never intended to have our hope put in, or allowing other things to receive the glory that we should be giving to God, but we give it to other created things. I would encourage you to begin to think about ways in which you can bring pleasure to the heart of God. See, every relationship is a two-way relationship, meaning that both parties must give to that relationship. And since Jesus has given so much, then doesn't it make sense that we too should give something back to him through our worship, through our love, through giving him the glory for who he is and what he's done in our lives? We also give back through a, a vibrant prayer life when we just communicate with him on a daily basis and through our studying of his written word, through the way that we give of our time and give of our resources for the kingdom of God. All of these things I'm talking about bless the Lord. And I believe that it is something that, that we should consciously do on an ongoing basis. I'd like everyone who can to stand to your feet, please. I've decided to end this service today by singing an old hymn that really says it all regarding your and my relationship with Christ. It's called, I Surrender All. It's really the theme of those who serve the Lord Jesus. We hold nothing back. We surrender to him our entire lives, our all to Jesus. And while we sing this song, I want you to bless the Lord this morning through your praise, through your worship, Bring glory to God for all that he has done in sending his son Jesus to save you. As always, if you want to come to this altar, you are welcome. This altar is open all the time. And if you're not a Christian here today and, and you'd like to receive salvation, then while we sing, 
You can either come to this altar or you can pray from where you're standing and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Pray that prayer of confession and belief that I mentioned just a moment ago. Tell Jesus you believe in him. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I encourage you to receive salvation today. I can't think of a better Christmas gift that you could give yourself on the eve of Christ's birth. And when we're done singing, I will come back and we will close this service in prayer. Before I pray, let me again remind you of our Christmas Eve uh, candlelight and communion service tonight at five. Love to have you here. Let's, those who are at the altar can continue to pray as long as they would like. I will go ahead and dismiss us in prayer. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending Christ to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. That is redeem us and save us from our sin. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. Thank you for the gift of your spirit that indwells us. Thank you for your word that instructs us how to live in this day and age. God, you've truly given us everything that we need to live successfully and vibrantly in this age. And we thank you for that. Father, I pray that as we go our separate ways today, that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing us in the steps that we take, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have. Lord, let them be conversations that build people up and not tear them down. And let us be shining bright lights in this dark world. And let that light be the love of Christ shining through us. Father, I pray as we leave that we would be reminded of this season. It is so many things to so many people, but to those of us who've been redeemed by the blood, it is our day of redemption. It is our day of, of salvation. It is the day when you came and saved us. And we thank you for that. And we rejoice in that today, Lord. Let it be on our lips that we will give you praise for who you are, for what you've done, and what you can accomplish now in our lives and have accomplished. We thank you for that. And as we go in love, Father, let us remember to love our fellow man. Sometimes they're not always easy to love. But Father, you've called us to love them. Let us love even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. And Father, bring peace into our homes this Christmas time. And let us not forget the reason that we celebrate this season. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here and Merry Christmas.